0: welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics hey guys welcome back to another episode of Yolitics here uh, Jason Whiteley with my co-host Jason wheeler and uh, as as badly as we would like to be in Houston for this episode we are forced to do this on zoom again but we are yep. still about to pop the top on a cold one what do you have jason
1: i was going to mention you know it's we would like to be in houston because uh, you know we've mentioned this a couple of times everybody on this podcast uh, on the scenes and behind the scenes uh, has passed through houston or is from houston uh, and it seems like we get a disproportionate number of guests who are on here uh, from houston as well a lot goes on there and uh, we got a biggie to talk about today
0: i'm going to ask you what you're having first i'm having the uh uh, an Austin beer. I, I didn't plan this one right. I should have had a Houston beer, but I'm ha- I'm having the uh, Texas honey cider. I'm kind nice. of into ciders right now. As much as you're into IPAs, I'm into ciders. But uh,
1: well, I'm I'm I've, I've given up on the IPAs for now, uh, and I'm going to try something. I'm I'm leaving Texas uh, for this for this podcast, uh, which I don't usually do, we'll but I'm finally. Out. I'm finally catching up to you, which has been a lifelong goal of mine. Uh, you did this a couple of weeks ago because someone reached out to us uh, and said, hey, you know, we think we are going to make this the official drink of Texas. Uh, and it's called Braxton Brewing. And I was supposed to have mine the same day you did, but I, I'm never on script with you. Uh, and it's called a garage beer. Uh, and you know what? It actually fits to have this today uh, because, you know, part of their write up is uh, that they talk about how a garage is a place where, uh, you know, ideas come to life where you create things that you've uh, dreamed of and uh, today we are talking about an idea that is coming to life
0: here in texas that could change things you are good man wow that was a good segue genius. like how I backed right into that <laughs> yeah hell yeah that was that was that was genius man so we uh, let's, let's go to houston now we have um, bill king on the line with us bill king is the uh, founding chairman of of a new political party in Texas. It's the SAM Party of Texas. I I wasn't immediately familiar with it, but got up to speed pretty quickly on it. And uh, this is the Serve America movement. So Bill, welcome to Yolotix, first of all. Thanks. Let's talk about the Serve America movement, this new political party. You guys just filed this uh, the other day in Austin. Let's start out with
2: what in the world is it and what do y'all stand for? The people that originally started SAM about three or four years ago, we uh, were basically people that were around the middle of the political spectrum and were frustrated by the fact that the two parties kept careening off the edges and, and, and more and more so every election, it seemed like. Uh, and so they were trying to figure out a way to begin to coalesce and unite people around the middle of the political spectrum. It originally started out as sort of a good government movement, kind of like no labels or some of those. Mm-hmm. But they pretty quickly determined that the only way you can really do that is to organize a political party to exercise raw political power, get people elected to office. And so they ran some candidates in the in the 18 election and the 22 election up in the New York and Connecticut area, got some experience and decided to try to launch off and make this a national movement. Um, There's actually a board member from Texas that sits on the national board, a guy named Chris Hart. Hmm. And Chris reached out to me and he said, Bill, I think this would really be appealing to you. And so we spent several months talking about it. And I ultimately decided that I was going to do this. Uh, I'd been through my own intellectual journey. I'd supported no labels. I'd supported Unite America, which tries to elect independent party. But I read a, a book by a guy named uh, Lee Drutman called Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop. And it really convinced mm-hmm. me that the only way to solve America's political problems is to have a multi-party democracy like almost every other democracy in the world has. Mm
1: -hmm. Bill, uh, that brings up an interesting question, though. This has been tried over and over again over the years in this country. People complain constantly about Republicans and Democrats and how they just can't get along. They can't get anything done. And yet third parties just haven't fared very well in this country over the years. How will this one be different?
2: I think there's two things that are different right now. Uh, one is that the, the dissatisfaction with the two incumbent parties has never been as high as they are today. Uh, recently, a Gallup poll, they, they poll it about every two or three weeks, and they had a, a, a poll where they caught it at over 50% for the first time. Hmm. Um, who are dissatisfied. Tyler, right. who refused to identify with the other political party. Hmm. Um, a recent uh, UT Tyler Dallas Morning News poll Came out and it said that um, a third of Texans refused to identify with either political party. But then they took the people and it was 37 Republican and 30 Democrat. And they asked those folks uh, how strongly they felt about their party affiliation. There was another 27 percent that says we're not really strongly affiliated with our parties. Hmm. And so when you add that 27 to the 33, that are independent. You got 60 percent of Texans say they're not very uh, uh, not very closely associated with a political party. That's higher than it's ever been before. Hmm. The second thing that I'll say is that uh, political parties have tended to be parties that are positioned further out on the political spectrum than the two existing parties. So the the four parties you can choose from in Texas are the Libertarians, Republicans, Democrats, and the Greens. Well, most people see the Libertarians and the Greens as even further out on the political spectrum than the Democrats or the Republicans. And so, you know, the question we want to pose to Texan voters, if we give you an alternative that's more in the middle, a common sense kind of approach to governing, is that something that you would find appealing? And I would point to the 2006 governor's race to suggest to you that in fact, Texans would like that. If you recall in that race, Rick Perry was running for re-election the first time. Uh, Chris Bell was the Democratic nominee. And that was the ballot that Kinky Friedman mm-hmm. and uh, Carol Strayhorn both qualified as independents. And when the results came in, Kinky and Carol combined had more votes than Chris Bell did. And they were only about three or four points behind Rick Perry. So even back in two thousand six, you know Texans sorted about a third, a third, a third, and you think about how much worse things have gotten since two
0: thousand six. And, and just thinking about that race, I, I covered it. I, I'm sure Jason did too. Um, yeah. But Kinky obviously was a huge character, um, yeah. and and Carol Keaton Strayhorn had the had a you know a resume. I think she split off from the, the GOP, um, and then Chris Bell. For as nice of a guy as Chris was, he, he just wasn't that well-funded and wasn't, you know, that well-propped up. Um, it, it, personality plays a, a big deal in this, I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? Sure, for sure. I, do you remember Kiki's uh, campaign slogan? I, I, ha- I just, I, we had to clean up the newsroom and I brought it here. Uh, what was it?
2: What the hell? Why not? Something like that. Why the hell? The one, not? I, the one I remember was, uh, "Look at Rick Perry. How hard can it be?" <laughs> I, don't,
0: I don't remember that one. I, I had the red bumper sticker for a long time that said, "Why the hell not? Vote for Kinky." Something yeah. like that. Kinky is a poet. He really is. Right. Here, here's the thing that now,
2: like, I think, I think for sure that you know, um, Sam's going to ultimately define by its candidates. I mean, you know, you can talk about platforms and principles and all those things all you want to, but at the end of the day, it's what kind of a candidates are you going to track. And so um, it's, it's always kind of a chicken or the egg deal. You know, people who are viable politically don't want to associate with a party that doesn't have any infrastructure. And, you know, a party trying to build infrastructure needs, you know, people that are recognizable. So it's always a sort of uh, chicken and egg thing. But I will tell you, I have frankly been dumbfounded by the amount of uh, conversation I've had over the last 30 days with current and former elected officials that are just, you know, fed up with what's going on in the current system. I think this legislative session really brought a lot of things to head. Uh, I recently had a meeting with seven elected officials currently in office. And, you know, I I don't have permission to tell you who they are, what their names are. But I will tell you that uh, there were four, there were three Republicans and four Democrats. Mm -hmm. And all of them said, I'm either going to run as an independent or I'm going to associate with a new party or I'm going to quit.
1: Wow. That's significant. Yep. Um, So uh, talk talk to us a little bit about how this legislative session you think helps uh, the Sam party here in Texas. Uh, You know, a lot of people said there was a lot of red meat in this session. Uh, You know, things for the base, perhaps going into next year's elections and maybe not enough that's addressing the true
2: needs or thoughts of Texans. Well, Jason, you said it for me. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, uh, look. So if if you ask, I think if you ask Texans, what are you worried about? I think they're worried about the pandemic and the effect of it. I think they're worried about, you know, what's the limit on government restrictions in a pandemic? I think they're worried about, you know, is my electricity going to go off next time we have a major freeze? Is my electricity going to go off in the middle of a a heat wave? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they're worried about how bad our public schools are. I think they're worried about the fact that almost a third of Texans don't have health insurance. And how do we, I think they're worried about property taxes skyrocketing we didn't talk about any of that stuff, We're talking about transgender sports, voter suppression, voter fraud, um, you know, whether or not somebody ought to get training before they carry a handgun around or not. I mean, I got to tell you what, uh, I've never lost one night's sleep worrying about transgender sports once. I have worried a lot about the electricity not coming on or down here in my part of the world in Houston, worried about a hurricane wiping out the city. Um, and I just don't, you know, they just, it, the, the problem is these guys all have to run in the primary So these guys and gals have to run in the primary. And so they've got to pander to that base. And, and, and I think one of you used the term throw red meat. The problem is you throw red meat to a monster and they always want more. Mm. And so they just become increasingly ridiculous in the sort of pantomime that they're due. Well, what can I, what, what can I throw out there that would be the, you know, the reddest meat this time and how, you know, how can I get ahead of the other guy that's going to throw other red meat out there? And they spend all their time doing that instead of governing. I I just think there's a big chunk of Texans and Americans. that want somebody to do the damn job.
0: Yeah. I think you're, I think you're probably right about that. There is, there's a, certainly a a sector of the state who's kind of frustrated with the partisanship that's going on. But at the end of the day, Bill, you've run for office before for uh, the mayor of Houston's uh, position, but you know, that any political party needs uh, uh, donors with deep pockets and a a good uh, field of candidates. What makes you think that you guys can spin up, you know, fast enough for at least 2022, maybe?
2: Well, I think, look, I think we've got to have limited uh, expectations for 22. I mean, we're going to be a brand new party. Our immediate goal is to get ballot access, which requires about 80,000 people joining the party, which you Basically do that by signing a petition. Once we're on the ballot, if any statewide candidate gets two percent on the vote, we qualify for the ballot for the next 10 years. And when Sam originally asked me to take on this role, that was really kind of what my objective was. I will tell you though, based on some of the conversations I'm having, I've had in the last you know couple of weeks here, I think something more ambitious might be possible for 22 because mm-hmm. There's some people that we're talking to that you would readily recognize the names if I could share them with you, that you would say, wow, that person could be competitive statewide. Go ahead, statewide. Bill. Who is it? Yeah. <laughs> so make some I, news, you know- Bill. <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty sure you guys could figure it out. For well, I was just
1: going to ask you, actually, because the way that you describe this party uh, being not a platform driven party, but, you know, about being centrist and finding solutions and, and not being you know quite so, quote unquote, political. It sounds a lot like some of the talk that we've heard surrounding like a Matthew McConaughey, a potential run for governor there. Uh, you know, you can feel free to make that news here uh, on this podcast if that's something that might happen.
2: No, I think I think his candidacy is very interesting. We've actually reached out to him, but I haven't heard anything back from him. Uh, but he's the but his at least the, the rhetoric, the conversations he's having are are very consistent with what we're talking about. But I think there's other people uh, out there as well. I tell you, somebody that you guys will know, uh, Steve Bartlett, who was a U.S. Congressman and the former Mayor of Dallas, joined the party last week and made a contribution. Is out mm-hmm. there helping us organize. You know, Steve's the kind of guy that was about getting things done. Uh, not that he's thinking about running for office, but just to give you an idea about the kind of people uh, that we're attracting uh, into conversations today. Um, but I think that, look, I, one of the reasons I ran for mayor, I ran as an independent for mayor. I mean, supposedly, you know, municipal races are nonpartisan, but we all know that's a bunch mm. of hooey. Mm-hmm. That they become very partisan. I ran as an independent. I I screened with Democrat groups. I screened with Republican groups, and. And um, and and we raised between the two campaigns about six or seven million dollars in the first race. I came within, you know, a couple thousand votes of winning that as an independent. So I think even though I didn't win, I think the race demonstrates that there is an appeal out there. You know, and I was running against Sylvester, who had run for mayor three times and was able to move two million dollars over from a state legislative <laughs> race and started with an 80 percent. You know, the first poll that came out, I'd actually been writing for the Houston Chronicle uh, for about 10 years at that point. Um, and the first and I thought, well, surely everybody knows me because I write a column twice <laughs> a week for the Houston Chronicle. I made my picture up there and everything. <laughs> so the first poll that came out. I had a uh, 9% name ID and 2% of the vote. And my consultant said, you need to drop out right now before you waste any more money. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but you know, That's we hard. ended up, we ended up getting into the runoff easily uh, beating a bunch of city council people, beating Adrian Garcia who was a sheriff at the time. And then, um, you know, the last poll that came out before the runoff, it was a, declared a dead heat. And we didn't have a winner until about 11 o'clock that night. The lead changed hands several times during the night. Wow. So I think the race demonstrated that there is this um, uh, there's a market for candidates that want to talk common sense. We didn't run a single negative campaign ad the entire time. All we talked about was here's what I see as the problems are. Here's what I think the solutions are. Uh, Sylvester and I had uh, three televised debates in the runoff. They were all very respectful, very civil. We didn't get there and call each other's names or anything. So I think there's a I I think the race demonstrates that there's a uh, uh, that that has appeal to a lot of voters.
0: Hmm. Uh, Let me ask you about some some history here. Obviously, that that uh, people might not realize uh, that the Republican Party, the current GOP, uh, was a third party back in the uh, the 1800s, and mm-hmm. we see what that's become now, too. Uh, but secondly, you mentioned something that, that I, I didn't know and I didn't think about, and that is on the world stage, how third parties uh, rise and fall all the time. And Francois Macron, the, uh, the president of president Emmanuel.
1: France? Emmanuel Macron.
0: Is it uh, Francois Mitterrand? That was the, the previous president years ago. Oh, I, I thought you were talking <laughs> about the current. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, is Macron, though. Is that who it is, Bill? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Ma- right, Macron, Macron started a third party in France. What a decade ago he got elected. You mentioned that the same thing happened in Mexico as well, too. So this is not that right, far yeah. out. I out think actually,
2: state. I think Macron. I think between the time Macron founded the party and being elected president was less than two years. Well, wow. um, now the and and you're correct. The Republican Party started as a third party in the 1850s, spent about a decade replacing the Whig Party, and uh, ultimately got. Uh, Abraham Lincoln elected president in 1860, and a three-way race, by the way. Um, and so, um, the the this sort of a, look, the two parties are constantly out there telling everybody third parties are not viable; it's a waste of your vote because they don't want the competition. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, um, you know, they are successful sometimes. Mm-hmm. It takes a moment in history to do it. Uh, this book by Lee Drummond that I read, "Breaking the, the Two-Party Doom Loop," I would really recommend to everybody. It's it, it talks a lot about how the two party system we have today is nothing like the two party system that we've had over the last 50 years, that when you go back to the golden age of the 50s, 60s and 70s, when the two party system seemed to work pretty well, you had liberal and conservative wings in both parties. So you had this ability to make, you know, uh, bipartisan deal making going on. And so it was, you know, liberal Republicans and liberal Democrats that passed. Uh, the civil rights uh, legislation back in the in the 60s. You don't have that today. The parties are completely ideologically sorted. And Dretton points out, this is the first time in the history of the country we've ever had this. Mm. And then you add on top of that the primaries, you add on top of that social media, you add on top of that 24-hour news cycle, and it's ended up with this very toxic environment where you basically have about 10 or 15 percent on either side of the political spectrum, driving the agenda, driving the debate, driving the conversation, because that's what gets the eyeballs uh, for for social media and for the cable news network.
1: Bill, you've mentioned that since you all filed as a party here in Texas, that you've heard from some actual current elected lawmakers uh, in Texas, uh, some interest from them. Is it likely in in the months ahead that we will see some of those people actually go ahead and, and change their affiliation and join you? And, uh, you know, you, you've heard from both sides of the aisle some positive things there. I'm curious uh, how much you all are bracing for the negative, because these are machines and they don't like a third competitor coming in. They're, they've sort of defined their turf. So that's the second part of my question. Are you feeling the heat from that yet?
2: I haven't felt it yet, but I'm fully expecting. You know, uh, Sam Party in New York qualified for the ballot. Uh, their gubernatorial candidate got enough votes to qualify them for the ballot. Uh, Cuomo went back and changed the law retroactively to disqualify them and wow. three other parties. So that's hmm. all tied up in litigation up there. I suspect we'll spend some time in the courtroom before this is all over. Um, in fact, I'll I break a little news for you. One thing that we're probably going to do in the next couple of weeks here is file a lawsuit over a provision in the Texas election code. If you, this is just this is how, how outrageous the discrimination is. So if, if you are when you want to become a nominee for a party, you file an application with that party to become a nominee for whatever pick your office. And when you do that, you have to pay a filing fee. Hmm. Well, for Democrats and Republicans, that money goes to the party and they get to keep it and spend it. If it's anybody else, it goes to the state of Texas and they get to keep it. (laughs) Wow! So we don't think that's exactly kosher. We may be challenging that in court here pretty quickly.
0: You mentioned New York in the conversation here, too. Uh, Texas is the latest state to come on. Tell us where the Sam Party is right now
2: nationally. Uh, and, And I think you mentioned that that it is still expanding, too. Right, Bill? Right. We had uh, uh, on Monday, we announced Texas, Pennsylvania and Connecticut. They previously run. They previously endorsed independent candidates in in Connecticut, uh, but they're actually going to file for they file for party status uh, on Monday. Uh, I think you're going to see Florida and possibly California come on uh, Hmm. pretty quickly. Um, I was on the phone this morning with people from Kansas who were interested uh, last week with people from Rhode Island. I think by the end of the year, we'll have 10 or 12 state party organizations in place.
1: Well, when you say that, though, Bill, how crucial is Texas in that mix? How much does the national party, you're the chair here in Texas, how much is the national party counting on this state uh, to,
2: to do well? So I think that Texas is in the national eye all the time. You know, and in part because of our, some of our antics here, you know, mm-hmm. but um, but listen, there's been some national news coverage on the fact that a third party started in Texas already. And so I think it's very important. Um, you know, all eyes are on Texas for a lot of different reasons. And so the fact that we're going to do this here is, is a big deal, I think. And I think maybe to the rest of the country who don't really understand Texas, maybe it came as a, being a little bit unexpected. Uh, but, you know, the truth is, Texas has always had this sort of independent streak to it. Yeah. And, um, you know, w- one of these days we're going to teach the rest of the country that the second plural really is y'all. Yeah, because, we, <laughs>
1: because we've heard it. We've heard it over and over again that Texas isn't necessarily a red state and not a blue state, that it has traditionally been a non-voting state. Those are the people mm-hmm. you're trying to get.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, look. You know, if you if you go to a restaurant and all they have is beef and fish and you wanted chicken, you know, and you go back and keep asking for chicken and they don't serve it, you decide, you know, I'm not going back to that restaurant anymore. Mm. So I just think we're going to see a lot of people. And, you know, Trump, for all his faults, which I which I personally think he had a lot of them, you know, he understood that there were a bunch of people that were not being represented in this country and he quit voting and he spoke to their concerns. Now, I, I kind of agreed with David Brooks when he said that Trump was the wrong answer to the right question, <laughs> but at least he was raising issues that had previously been ignored by the two parties. And I mean, look, I mean, Trump was not a Republican. He wasn't a conservative. I mean, in some ways, he was really the first independent president, you know. Bill, we, we watched uh, over the last few cycles how the
0: the gap between Republicans and Democrats in this state, at least on the presidential level, has really closed. Um but I, I'm wondering if if the a third party comes in and and you you know you have uh you know Republicans who are determined to go vote for a red candidate regardless of what that person stands for, do do you think that a third party might take away from the Democratic vote at all and,
2: and split that vote, or do you think it would bring out new people? You know, it's funny. I've I've gotten several emails over the last uh, 72 hours here. About an equal number of my Democratic friends tell me, I can't believe you're doing this. You're going to keep you're going to you're going to interfere with our ability to beat the Republicans in 22. Wow. And I've had about two or three of my Republican friends write me and say, I can't believe you're doing this. You're going to you're going to just dilute the Republican vote and let the Democrats win. So, you know, both sides see the other side as this monolithic group of voters, you know, and that they're that they're going to stick together. And it's always our side that we have a hard time keeping together. But I can just tell you, based on the reaction I'm getting, it's about an equal number of Democrats and Republicans that we're hearing from. And, and I would get and refer back to that um, UT Tyler polling, which shows that there's only about 20 percent on each side, a little, a little more, maybe, let's say, 25, 15 Republican to Democrat that are really committed to their parties. But the rest of the people are like, yeah, you know, I don't really. Now, I think that one thing you'll hear political, some political science say a lot, is that, yeah, they say they're independent, but they lean one way because they always vote one way. Well, take me, for example. I'm a sort of center right guy. So I would say over the last decade, I voted for more Republicans than I have Democrats. And that's just because philosophically, that was a little closer to me than than the Democrats were for the most part. But that doesn't mean that I like voting for them. I mean, what I think a lot of people in the middle of the political spectrum do is they sort of walk in and they hold their nose and decide which is the least of the bad options here. And if you're, say, a little center-right, well, that may mean that you vote for Republicans fairly regularly. That doesn't mean that you're dedicated to the Republican Party, the principles that they stand for. Uh, another book I'd, I'd, I'd mention is uh, Morris Farina's book, uh, Unstable Majorities. And, and what, what Farina points out is that since these two parties only represent about 25% of the American people, that 50% in the middle is constantly trying to decide which of the two mm-hmm. kids it's going to give the car, keys to the car to, you know? And so they give it to, they give it to one kid and he drives the car off in the ditch, you know, cause he'd been drinking. And so you say, okay, give me the keys back. And, and you get, and, and but the problem is the only person you have to give it the keys to is the other drunk kid, you know? <laughs> and so, At some point in time, I think people are going to be just fed up with that
1: yeah we have heard plenty of times from people saying that they're picking the lesser of the two evils when they go exactly. into that ballot booth. Uh, I want to ask you this bill uh you know a lot of times a relationship is great in the beginning uh and and the challenge doesn't come until you know much further down the line when you're deep in the marriage let's say uh, so i'm I'm looking at the platform that you all have and you know it's based on you know transparency and and you say that you know you, you all are about defining issues and inviting ideas and collaborating and finding solutions. I'm curious, though, how hard is that going to be to hold a party together, though, when you don't have this rock solid, already decided, written out platform and, and you get to one of these thorny issues and there are people within the, your party who don't agree with where the, a particular candidate is headed or where the party is headed? How do you keep it together?
2: You know, the national platform is sort of the overarching architecture The sort of trying to decide how we want candidates to look and, and act like. But down at the lower level, the state level and certainly the candidate level, SAM candidates and the SAM Party of Texas are going to have more specific ideas about how that general philosophy is applied in Texas. And I'll give you the example of the one issue we've already taken up, which was the grid failure. Uh, you know, as soon as the, I mean, the, you know, we hadn't even gotten thawed out and Abbott's up there talking about how oh, this is all green energies fault. And Mm -hmm. the Democrats were out there talking about how this just shows you how fossil fuels unreliable and we need more green energy. Well, I mean, look, anybody with half a brain knew that really wasn't what the issue was. Mm -hmm. I mean, what the issue was, a bunch of gas-fired generators didn't start. Well, I'd like to know why they didn't start. And so what we've said is we need, and by the way, I'd also like to know what the true damage was. I'd like to know what happened to the $50 billion that changed hands over that four or five days? I mean, there are just thousands of unanswered questions. And so, and and, and by the way, both parties were anxious to sweep this under the rug as fast as they could because right. they didn't want to, they don't want Texans to know X made a billion dollars in the freeze. And oh, by the way, he gave a million dollars in campaign <laughs> contributions, which will be spread out over both parties. So they want to s- sweep it under the rug. I, and did y'all see this mm. where... Aircot said it's not subject to the Open Records Act. Yes. And then the attorney general backed them up. I mean, yeah. they just passed a $2.5 billion bailout for this agency and they're not subject to open records. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. Um, so what we did was instead of running out there and saying, we know what the answer is, we said, look, we need an independent commission to study this and come back with recommendations about, first of all, do fact finding about what happened. Because look, if a generator didn't start, That's not an ideological issue. That's not a conservative or liberal issue. It's not a Republican or Democratic. You know, either the line froze or a switch froze or something happened. And how do we stop that from happening again in the future? That's what I would like. That's what I would like a Sam governor to come out and say. Hmm. So we started this online petition demanding it. I think a couple thousand people have already signed it. Um, And if you want to sign that, by the way, it's investigatethegrid.com, investigatethegrid.com. You can go there and sign our petition. That's the way that I want Sam Canis to act. I think there'll be other things that will will come up during uh, uh, this campaign cycle. I think we're probably going to be talking about campaign contributions some. Uh, They're unlimited in Texas. And somehow it seems like if you give the governor a quarter of a million dollars, you end up on the Board of Regents of your choice. You know, mm. all perfectly legal. Probably not the best way to run things. You know.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I think there'll be a number of issues that will evolve. It will define Sam in Texas, and will define Sam candidates in Texas. So, Bill,
0: what's next for uh, the Sam Party in
2: Texas? You guys are brand new.
0: I mean, what what's top of your uh, you know list on your legal pad there?
2: Well, right now I'm trying to answer the 200 emails that I got in <laughs> last like 72 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're in the process of trying to build out the basic infrastructure of political party. You know, we need precinct chairs. We need county chairs. We need uh, candidates recruitment and screening committees. We need a platform committee. We need all those things that, are, that you, know, you would normally think of that a political party has. So we've got to build that all out before the primary season next year. The,
1: how do you get that, uh, Bill? Are you asking people to
2: sign up or
1: how do, how do you yeah, get no, all no, I that? mean,
2: I, I literally have sent probably ten, 10 emails today. People sent me saying, how can I help? And I and, and most of those people I've written back and said, well, would you be interested in being a precinct chair in your precinct? And I've got a little information sheet that I send them to say, this is what's involved. In, this is what we'd expect of you to be a precinct chair and what you can expect from us. And I already had, I think, three people have already said yes this morning mm-hmm. to that. So I think we're gonna and 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 you know I had a couple of people contact me about being potential county chairs, and and by the way, one is a former uh, a former county judge is mm-hmm. talking about being the, the the county chair in his county. So wow. I'm gonna have lunch with him next week to talk about that. So it, we're just we're going about that sort of uh, uh, basic blocking and tackling. I mentioned earlier we're probably gonna initiate some litigation for some of these rules we don't think are fair, um, but it's basically to get ready for what what happens is. Next year on the primary date, and of course we don't know when that's going to be yet. It's, it's currently set for early March, probably be early May. From from that day, you have to hold your precinct conventions, county conventions, state conventions. Uh, by the way, in Texas, there's convention parties and primary parties. And we, we by law, we're required to be a convention party. So mm-hmm. we'll be nominating all our uh, uh, candidates through conventions this year. Uh, but as soon as that precinct convention Uh, primary date comes, then we basically have 75 days to collect our signatures to qualify for the ballot and turn that in. Mm. And so we're preparing for that. We're going to engage a petition gathering firm to do that. I interviewed one of those guys yesterday, talked to him about it. But, you know, there's there's 16 million voters in Texas. I'm sorry, about 18 million voters in Texas now and um, barely a third of them really strongly identify with either of these political parties. You know, only one or two million vote in the primaries. So there's a ch- big chunk of folks out there uh, that are available to only get 80,000 signatures.
1: It sounds like a lot of work, though, and, and, and you will have to break through. And of course, you know, we all know that that takes money. Uh, I, I saw on a fact sheet that you all uh, did manage to raise five million dollars, which is no uh, small amount. But, you know, then you look at these major parties bringing in billions and billions. You're going to have to pull in the money, too.
2: Well, I think the money follows uh, our success and mm. follow the candidates. Um, and i tell you, I, I will say this, that I think that the I think the effectiveness of money in campaigns is actually overstated. Mm. Um, you think about Clinton outspent Trump by six to one or something it's like true. that. Uh, I got out. Sylvester outspent me about three to one in our mayor's race down here in 2015. You know, you have to have a certain amount of money. To get into the public eye and to be uh, competitive, but it's not at all the case that whoever spends the most money wins. And, and there's a there's some there's some academic literature on that that, that says that that's not right. Uh, so I think I think it'll be there. And I have to tell you, I, I bet a hundred contributions have come in in the last seventy two hours under five hundred dollars. Mm which was frankly, I mean, we didn't ask anybody for any money. We just said, this is what we're doing. And this is where you can go find out information about us. And people are contributing money. So I think, I think that the money will be okay. Um, the, um, uh, and, and frankly, a lot of money by the, by big campaigns and by the parties wasted, I think, hmm. you know, I mean, they're running a bunch of negative ads and stuff like that. We're not going to spend a dime doing that. So, uh, you yeah, know, we'll see how it works out, but I think it'll be okay.
0: And Bill, to make sure I'm clear, are, are, is the Sam Party of Texas planning on running a candidate for governor next year?
2: If we have the right candidate, uh, I mean, to me, it's all about having the right candidate. I don't feel compelled. My my counsel to the party would be that we should not be felt, felt compelled to nominate somebody in every slot if we don't have the right person to run. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you something that Sam has done in New York and Connecticut is they've endorsed Democrats and Republicans. If they had somebody in one of those races that they thought represented their values, then they would go endorse that person instead of running a candidate, in it, which neither one of the existing parties even dream of doing something like that. But I think it shows Sam's focus on this is not about Sam being successful. well, this is about, you know, better governance, better outcomes. And, you know, there's there's certainly people like that in Texas I can think of, you know, that we would have that I would have recommended that we would endorse as opposed to running somebody against them
1: bill I'd like to also point out that you know we've talked about how you all don't have necessarily a hard and fast platform like we're accustomed to with you know Democrats and Republicans uh, but I did see some interesting things that you all are proponents of if if and when you do get people in power and those include ranked choice voting open primaries where all voters get to get in there uh, campaign finance reform to get dark money out of politics and uh, more voter access so uh, there's there is a platform there that that may in fact speak to a lot of people even though it's not necessarily a platform in the traditional sense that that we consider
2: with the two major parties right and that and that will also be modified and refined for particular locations mm-hmm. um something you know you talking about the voter access and people immediately think you're talking about texas that's actually in there because connecticut connecticut does not have early voting mm. no early voting whatsoever along with i think about a dozen other states And so one thing that Sam is is pushing for is every place to have early voting, kind of like we do. Hmm. Um, So there's a yeah, I think, you know, one of the guys on the board of directors uh, was uh, was the town council for Newtown, where there was a terrible Mm -hmm. mass shooting incident that you'll recall. And so he has very, very strong opinions about gun control. But he understands that, you know, Texas is not going to have those same kind of ideas about that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's part of the reality you have to accept if you're going to unite this middle part of the political spectrum. Those of us who are in the middle are there because we don't agree on everything. <laughs> you know, the only people who are the only places where everybody agrees is out there on those fringes, you know, at the very end. And so, you know, I mean, if my mother and I talk about issues, we don't agree on it. And I think we got to get back to saying it's OK to disagree and to do it civilly and to understand uh, um, Michel Montaigne, the great French philosopher, once said the most boring room in the world is one where everybody mm-hmm. agrees, you know, and it's so important to accept that people disagree, to listen, to be civil, it may change your mind. It may not change your mind, but that inputs important. And so that's one of our core tenets, is the civility and a, and a conversation about it. And, and by the way, it's also okay to compromise. Yeah. This idea that, you know, somebody sent me a, a social, you know, compromise. All oh, you're just compromise all our rights and blah, 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 blah. You know, look, you tell me one relationship in your life that you don't compromise with. I promise you, if you're married, you compromise. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's mostly her way, but, <laughs> but <laughs> you compromise. You compromise with your kids, with your' are working. It's life is full of compromises. Every healthy relationship has compromises in it. And, uh, and the same thing needs to be in our political life. So Bill, if our listeners want to find out more, how do they find out more about the Sam Party of Texas? The easiest way is to go to joinsam.org, joinsam.org. Uh, that's the website. You can sign up there. There's a separate page for Texas if you want to know more about Texas. Uh, if you sign up there, somebody will be in touch with you. Um, you can join, you can make a contribution, you know, or just uh, read about the party. Sounds good.
1: Well, uh, we know that you have some very, very, very busy months ahead as we get very close to primary season already. Uh, It's happening fast. So uh, we will uh, let you off the hook here. Uh, Bill King, the chair of the Texas Sam Party, Serve America Movement, brand new party here in Texas. Uh, Thank you for spending this time with us and explaining all of uh, what your party is about there, Bill. We know it's a very
2: busy time. Well, I look forward to being up there and see you guys in person when everybody gets back in the studio and everything. That'll be nice. Except
1: we would rather take a road trip and come see you,
0: perhaps, yeah. uh, if we right, meet up great, again. Great. Houston does have better food. The traffic you can have, <laughs> but the better food is, is definitely in Houston. Well, I
2: tell you. Also, I just got back from the Bahamas oh. and brought back some, and just brought back some collect beer. And I don't know if y'all are familiar with that or not, but it's you know many people think it's the finest beer in the
0: world so now you've cemented it we will definitely <laughs> be coming to visit you bill
2: <laughs> i guess i better put a couple cans back in the refrigerator <laughs> keep them in the back
0: and hide them back there man bill, bill thanks so much for taking our call we appreciate it you bet all right take care guys thanks a lot thanks bill So that was interesting. I, I, I'm I'm really fascinated to see what kind of candidates that the Sam Party of Texas actually is able to recruit and the kind of money that's behind him. He's right. You don't have to have the most money to win, but you certainly need money. To counter attacks and at least get your candidates out there.
1: Well, the good thing that they have here is that they're a not defined, which is important. You can come in and define yourself and be are nimble. You know, you're just starting up, so you can be more scrappy perhaps than the the, the more solidified parties uh, in the state here. Uh, it will be interesting though, and I, and I you know I wish you would just name names. Nobody ever names names. Uh, it will be right. interesting though to see if we start seeing people who have an R or a D next to their name right now. Wow. And that changes to, I don't know, would it be an S,
0: a Sam? That's pretty good. That's a good question. Yeah. yeah. S, I, don't, I don't know. It, it makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, getting back to the definitions, what's the old saying? If you don't define yourself, someone else will. So yes. I think at some point the Sam Party of Texas has got to, you know, lay out exactly what it stands for. And, and that is the, the centrist driven solutions. Yeah, is at least what I took away from the conversation with Bill there.
1: Well, and I and I think that they are smart right out of the gates to focus in on something that I have heard from a lot of people. And that is the the whole, you know, fiasco, the debacle here in Texas with the electric grid. And and, you know, the subsequent, you know, what a lot of people see as a total lack of action to truly address the problem to keep it from happening again. Uh, it, It sounds like they are definitely zeroing in on something that people might think about in their everyday lives, especially as, you know, they could benefit if we have a really, really hot summer here in Texas and we see more and more of these, you know, hey, turn off the lights from four to seven uh, so that mm-hmm. we can conserve power so that we don't have to do rolling blackouts. I predict that if we have a really, really, really hot summer here, uh, the Sam Party might actually get a a, a good
0: uh, boost uh, from that. That's a good point. And the reminder here, the special session, special legislative session, the governor Abbott called it starts a week from Thursday, so we mm-hmm. will. Or we are waiting right now as we record this to see what the governor is putting in his charge in his list of items that he wants the lawmakers to uh, to consider and debate and, and hopefully pass laws. Will yeah. grid reform be in there? I Don't count on it. Yeah, but that's certainly something that one party is promoting the Democrats.
1: Well, I'm betting, too, that that uh, special legislative session may also give Sam a boost because, uh, you know, we could really see some some nasty partisan fights coming out of that. And that's exactly w- what they're saying is the problem here that's keeping real action from from getting you know taken from, you know, real solutions happening. Uh, I bet you that we're going to see some real partisan fights there.
0: Yeah, of course, you know, the main bill that that everyone expects to be uh listed right. on the governor's list is the changes to state voting laws, which right. will likely be paramount for the governor since Democrats walked out of the uh you know, last few hours of the regular legislative session and and uh, killed that bill. But this just means that we need to take a road trip to Austin for the special legislative session. Didn't you work in Austin?
1: I did. So uh, where should be, we go?
0: Do you, do you I, know places to go? That's been like years ago. though. Right? I,
1: no, I do know some places to go. Um, and and uh, there's one, in fact, uh, that I can think of that has a, a good beer selection, you know, for the podcast. Uh, they also have a whole wall full of like different uh, bourbons and vodka. we We were not allowed to do those. We, no, we have to, we have to, we have to stay we, with beer. <laughs> yeah, our, but our, still, our boss
0: doesn't want to hear that. So we'll yeah, cut that out. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. No doubt there. There are uh, some many good little places down there but we'll uh we'll look at that at a different time we have burned up enough of your time today but we always appreciate you listening to y'all ticks don't forget we drop new episodes every tuesday and uh please subscribe to us thanks so much for listening
1: we'll talk again next week